Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thanks again for finding your way over to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is Episode 3. This week's guest is Doug Snope from Apopka, Florida. Now, I know there's an excellent chance that those of you listening right now may not know who Doug Snope is. Well, that's going to change after this episode. Doug's story is absolutely perfect for the Back of the Range. In fact, that's why this podcast exists in the first place. Doug has been a mainstay in the amateur circuit here in Florida for more than 20 years. He grew up in Michigan, went to college in the late 70s down here in Florida, and has had an excellent career racking up state wins and plenty of USGA appearances. The highlight of his career was in 2012 when he played in the U.S. Senior Open at the age of 53. The circumstances on how he got there, well, I'm going to save that for the episode. So before we get into the episode, let me remind you of a couple things. We are on Instagram. Just search at the back of the range and go ahead and follow us. I'm posting sneak previews of upcoming episodes and other pieces of information about the show. If you still haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Overcast, and of course, Google Play. And thank you to all the people that have been spreading the word and sharing the podcast with everyone Our first two episodes have been downloaded all over the United States, in the UK, Sweden, and even Australia. So keep sharing this podcast, and if you know someone that would be a great guest, please reach out to me directly. You can email me at ben at thebackoftherange.com. So without further delay, Doug, thank you for joining me here at the Back of the Range. Glad to be here. Thanks. So you and I have played some some amateur golf in the state of Florida. I distinctly remember a state mid-am at Tim Aquana in Jacksonville that ended at, uh, well, thanks to you. So I think you clipped me two and one uh, back then. But um, we've always kind of seen each other at tournaments and give the uh, the complimentary uh, wave and hello and how you doing. Um, what are you working on right now in your game? It's December when we're recording this episode. Um we really don't have a whole lot of tournaments to play in. What are you, uh, what are you working on right now? What, what's your uh, golf schedule looking like? Well, we, uh, there's, there's a number of uh, money games up here in Orlando area on the weekends. And there's a few tournaments, maybe one a month. So just, just by staying, you know, at least playing once on the weekends or maybe twice um, keeps your game a little bit in gear, you know, nothing, not working with any instructors or anything and that, not trying to get in shape, just uh, just just having a relaxing weekend, really. So before we before we kind of get into your start into the game, I just kind of wanted to hit on that. Also, you're uh, 58 years old. You're like you said, you're just trying to kind of keep sharp before next season comes around. You mentioned you're not working with an instructor, but once you start getting towards tournament season, you know what what's your strategy? What's your physical approach? What are you doing to kind of get yourself ready for a tournament season? Well, now that I'm a senior golfer, we have a lot of events that start the first weekend in March. So for the last three years, I've had a tournament the first weekend in March, the second weekend in March, and the third weekend in March. So during during the fall, I'm, I have to say I'm, I watch a lot of NFL football, so I don't play quite as much golf. There you go. But, but once January gets here, 
I start getting out and practicing a little more and playing. And then February, I definitely throw in a few more, you know, more practice hits, more balls, work on chipping and putting. Cause I know I got hit the ground running on March 1st. And then our senior amateur is like the second weekend in April. So that's kind of my new, my new goal is to uh, be ready by the first week in March. And as far as now, you know, your handicap, you're, you're right around scratch and you know, there's people listening to the podcast that, that aren't, or they're close to, to that level or they're, you know, 10, 15, 20 handicappers. Have you noticed there's been a difference in time it takes you to get your game to the level it needs to be at as you've gotten older? Is there any strategies that you've kind of adopted as a senior player as opposed to maybe what you were doing when you were in your you know, 30s and 40s? If anything, just just the fact that we're in Florida and we can play all year round, plus with the advancements and all the equipment, I mean, it feels like now we can hit it as far or farther than we were younger. So I'm still at the point where I don't feel like I'm going backwards in golf. I'm, I guess that's probably coming pretty soon. But uh, right now it feels like each year I'm either at the same level I was or I can try to improve a little bit in the areas I knew I was weak in the previous year. So so you mentioned you mentioned – Obviously, we have the opportunity to play year-round down here in Florida, but you didn't grow up in Florida. So where did you grow up, and how did you get your start in the game of golf? Well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we definitely have four seasons. I was into all sports as a youngster. I played uh, Little League Baseball, Little League Football, and uh, started playing basketball when we got into fifth grade. So those were the three sports everybody played. I had no inclination to play golf whatsoever. When I got to, uh, when I finally got to middle school, I, I started playing a little bit of tennis and I kind of dropped baseball. It wasn't until the ninth grade when I was still five foot one and 110 pounds that I decided I was too little to play high school football. I, I, I think everyone would probably would have told you that. So. <laughs> so, so when I got to ninth grade, I said, you know, I said, what are the fall sports? And they said, football, cross country and golf. I said, okay, I guess I'm going out for golf. So I, I had no preparation or anything. Just, uh, I grew up, I grew up 600 yards from a golf course. I used to go down and find golf balls and sell them to the golfers and make money all summer long, but I never played. So because I was too small to continue in my football dream, I, uh, that's why I started playing golf in ninth grade. Well, that's, that's crazy that you've gotten to the point in the game that you, you are at. And we're going to touch on that at much later in this episode. But if you were a little bit bigger in high school, you might not have ever gotten into the game, at least. Uh, probably. That's a possibility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep, and that would have that unfortunately that would have been a bad mistake because all my good friends that were good football players and basketball and baseball, you know, they they had nothing to play after they got out of high school or college, and I'm still playing golf and I'm fifty nine, almost fifty nine years old. So, wow, I so, went from a sport to a game, and you can play games a lot longer than you can play sports. Amen to that. So you're you get into high school uh, or you get you you take up the game in ninth grade. Yep. And uh, you played, did you play, did, now did you play for the high school team? I played, uh, I mean, I wasn't very good. I was shooting 44s and 45s. We played nine holes up in Michigan. So I was on the 
I was on the JV team in ninth grade and 10th grade. I still do that, by the way. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> and uh, I got better each year. And by my junior year, I, I made the varsity team. And then my senior year, I was number two on the varsity team. It led to, we were class A state champions my senior year in golf. And we played our, we played our golf in the fall in Michigan. And our state championship was held at a course in Battle Creek, Michigan, and we played in the snow. Okay. Um, so it was a cold, cold, snowy day. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't piling up, but there was sure. flurries. <laughs> and I think I shot 77 and was the third, that was the third low score on the day. Some guy shot 74 and 176. And uh, I helped lead our team to uh, like a one or two shot victory in the state championship on a cold day in Battle Creek, Michigan. Sounds like it's a like a just the the lead in of some sort of a war story or something like that, you know. <laughs> so, um, being a uh, a candy ass uh, native Floridian as I am, um, how do you play in weather that cold with snow? You know, this is back in I'm guessing it's somewhere in the mid seventies. Yeah, that was 19, 1976, The fall of seventy six. That was okay. So you're, it's the fall of 1976. This is obviously well before, um, uh, you know, cart mittens and uh, thermal uh, compression layers and all of the things that we see uh, the professionals and, well, equipment and clothing that's, that's available to just about everyone. H- how do you dress for that? What did you, how did you guys prepare for that? I'm just, just curious. Well, you you dressed in layers, obviously, and most most high school golfers back then just wore blue denim jeans golfing. Okay. <laughs> so in Michigan, in Michigan, so the jeans were warm, but you had to wear, you know, like a shirt and then a sweater and maybe even a, a small a light jacket. So at least you could still do your golf turn. You guys didn't even look like golfers, did you? You just literally looked like he came in off the street somewhere and just were ch- chopping it up. I mean, that's <laughs> I'm just trying to paint the picture that does not look like golf whatsoever. Yeah, it 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 looks very strange compared to what you see down here in Florida. I agree. Nice. So you you finish your your high school career, uh, you know, finish it off in style with a with a state championship. Next off to college, where did you where did you go to college? Did you play in college? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting story. I um my last my last my senior year in high school, I started working at a local golf course. I was the night water boy and we had sprinkler heads that you would every 30 yards. And I had a big, big uh, cart full of sprinkler heads in the back and you would go from one station to the next and plug them in. You'd put two on every hole, one at the tee box and one halfway up the hole. And then every 20 minutes you would have to go back out and move them one step forward. So I was, I was watering the whole course manually every night. So that was my job when I got out of high school, you know, in the summer. Sure. And I got the free golf privileges during the day. Of course, I was sleeping mostly during the day. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say about that. Um, I think I've heard of every job on a golf course. I've never heard of that. Yep, that's how we did it. But when I was uh, when I was working there, I, a couple of my buddies were talking about going to a local two-year school up in Grand Rapids and going on their golf team. So I didn't think too much of it. And then my... It was about, it was August and I was talking to the head pro there and I said, you know, I heard those guys are going and they're getting scholarships to go. I said, I said, how do I get in there? And he said, do you want to go there? And I said, 
I said, sure. And he called up the school and called up the coach and he got me a scholarship to go play there. So I got to play at a two year business school in Grand Rapids for two years with some of my high school buddies. And, um, those were my, those were my first two years of college. And then I graduated in uh, 70 spring of 79 and I got accepted into the PJ golf school up at uh, fair state college. And it's one of those things that teach you how to be a merchandiser, how to be a club pro, how to, how to do all the business aspects. And that summer I'm more, I was working again at the golf course and we had, we had a rainy three weeks, so I wasn't watering. So they had me come in and work on the day crew. And then they had me work in the shop for, you know, six or seven days. Sure. So for six or seven days, I was taking uh, tea money and handing out Cokes and coffees and hot dogs. And after a week of that, I said, I don't want to do this for a living. Okay. I said, I said, I want to play golf. I don't say, I don't want to work golf. So I said to the pro again, I said, you know, what can I do to play golf? I don't, I don't want to, I don't know that I want to do this. So he called a friend of his named Billy Sellers in Orlando, Florida, just happened to be the current coach at UCF golf. And he said, if, uh, if Doug wants to come down and play around a golf, a playing test, we'll see what he's like and we'll see what we can do. So about three weeks later, I flew down to Orlando, Florida and went to reopen our golf course and played around the golf with Billy Sellers. I chipped in twice for a couple birdies and played a pretty good round. And he said, if you want to come down here, we'll give you out of state tuition. I said, I'm in. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I played for UCF for two years, my junior and senior year. It almost sounds like just the breaks you've gotten so far. I mean, we haven't even started with any of your your. We haven't even gotten you out of college yet. Already, we're we're hearing basically if you weren't as little as you were in high school, probably wouldn't have started playing golf. And right. then, if your buddies mentioned the 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 business school in Michigan, you probably wouldn't have ended up there. If it doesn't rain for a week straight, you probably don't realize. Yeah, I don't want to be a golf pro. And then. You have this one chance to fly down to Orlando, and this is basically it's an eighteen hole qualifier for a two year golf scholarship, and yeah. you pass that. So you're just catching breaks left and right. So you, you spend two years at UCF. Uh, I think that's seventy nine eighty. What was your experience at UCF? Uh, well, the interesting thing about UCF was the first year I got there was the first year that they had an official golf team. So I was on the first. UCF golf team. And that was also the first year that UCF had a football team. So you, you make the transition down here. Where, uh, what, what kind of tournaments, uh, you know, did you, did you guys travel a lot? Uh, you know, I'd imagine the first or second year of a college program, uh, you know, must be kind of a, a thin budget that you guys had to work with. Did you guys travel much out of the state? Um, you no, know, okay. not, not, not once. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, we, uh, we had tournaments in Jacksonville, in Naples, in Miami. We held a couple of our own tournaments in the Orlando area. 
So we pretty much did local tournaments, and some were against like Brevard and Broward Junior Colleges, and some were we, – we were in the same conference with Florida Southern and South Florida, a couple of the bigger tournaments like the Florida Intercollegiate Tournaments. We played against University of Miami and University of Florida and Florida State. But pretty much we were we were relegated to the small, small tournaments. So as you're playing these tournaments in the state of Florida, and you know that's kind of the, that early 80s, late 70s, there's just a lot of really good players coming out of Florida. Um, any memorable tournaments that you recall of playing with some uh, some future future professionals? Uh, yeah, I can think of one right offhand. We uh, we held our own UCF Spring Invitational, I think it was called something like that, and we held it at a course like in. February or, or early March up in Orlando at a course called Point Siena. Because it was in the spring, a lot of the northern schools wanted to come down and play in it. Sure. So one of the teams that I distinctly remember is Ohio State came down. And Ohio State had a bunch of good players, and notably one was Joey Sindelar. So we were a smaller school, but we know we knew who Joey Sindelar was. Sure. You know, the whole team knew who he was. So because it was our tournament, our coach got to set who we played with. So the first day, he paired UCF with uh, East Tennessee State and Ohio State. So uh, I got to play with Joey Sindelar and Stu Ingram. I don't know if you know that name, but he's I think he's a good club pro player now. But I'm playing with Joey Sindelar and – he does not know who Doug Snope is, but I know who he is. And, you know, for eight or nine, ten holes, they're both they're both kicking my butt. Um, one or two over or something, and they're making pars and birdies. And I never, never get the honors, not once. And I think it was like on the 12th hole on the back nine, finally, I finally made my first birdie of the day. And they didn't birdie the hole. So we go to the 13th tee box and, uh, and Joey jumps up on the tee and gets ready to hit. And I'm thinking, that's ah, my honors. What should I say? Should I stop him? Should I let him go? Okay. And, uh, he goes ahead and hits and he knocks it in the hole for hole in one. So I say, okay, I guess I'm not saying anything now. Oh. So I get up there and knock it 20 feet and I make my putt for birdie. So I make another birdie, but he makes a hole in one. But I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't. I wasn't strong enough to say it's not your. It's not your tee box. It's mine, buddy. So I let him go. He makes a hole in one, and it actually kind of fired me up because I birdied three or four holes coming in, and I beat him by a shot for the day. But uh, that's that's one of the stories that I I always think about when I think about my college career at UCF was Joey oh, Sindler making a hole in one on me when it was my honors. Wow. So he had the last laugh. There you go. So you finished your two years at UCF and was there, take me through after college, was there any desire or interest in playing professionally or was it time to, to go get a real job? What uh, did you do after you got out of college? I graduated in, the, in May of uh, 82 from UCF and I went home for the summer and I found a person I used to work with and then another friend who were willing to give me a little bit of money to come down back to Florida and try the mini tours. So I came back down in September of 83 with about $4,500 from two guys. 
And uh, I played on the North Florida PGA for about six months. And then I tried one JC Goosey series in the uh, December, January timeframe. It was you would pay up front for five tournaments. And, um, you know, I, I made I think I made about nineteen hundred dollars in seven months. And I had to get a part time job during that to make to make ends meet with the rent payment and food and um, other expenses. So, you know, by about April, I knew that uh, things were winding down and I was going to head back to Michigan and go get a job. So I spent I spent maybe seven months playing professional golf. I was, I'm glad I did. Uh, you know, just found out that you got to shoot pretty low numbers out there and just shooting even par or one or two over wasn't going to cut it even back then. So two weeks before I was going to go back to Michigan and start my life, a friend of mine from the golf team, his father worked at uh, AT&T, and he, he let me know that they were hiring computer programmers down here in Orlando. I went and took a basically a, a logic test for AT&T, and a week later they offered me a job. So I called home and said, I'm not coming home. I'm going to stay here in Orlando and start working. AT&T has deemed me logical. I'm not coming home. So uh, <laughs> they offered me a nice salary and benefits. I said, there's no way I can get that in Grand Rapids. So there you go. I'm, I'm staying here. So between, so getting your career started, uh, your, your professional career, did, did golf kind of take a back seat as you were getting the career started or? Well, when I, um, when I got the job offer in 83 and just stopped playing professionally right at about the same time, I said, okay, and I'm going to devote all my time to work. So I, you know, tried to get into my work life and I did have to file to become an amateur again. And I had to wait, I had to wait two years. So I couldn't really play in anything for two years competitively. So I would maybe play once a month while I was getting into the business world just at a local golf course in Orlando, just not paying too much attention to it, really. Um, <clears throat> so I got a job, and I got a girlfriend, got her down to Florida from Michigan. We got married a couple years later. I had a baby in 86. So I wasn't playing a whole whole lot of golf through the middle to late 80s. I started, I started playing – I finally got my amateur status back, I think, in 85. And I've probably started playing in in uh, FSG events in 85 or 86. So, but obviously you got, you got more serious about the game. You know, we're not going to go through every single uh, achievement, but just to, just to give our listeners an idea of what kind of uh, achievements you've you've made in the game uh, i'm and you let me know if i'm incorrect in anything here i i see you qualified for four u.s mid-ams usam pub links in, in 2008 you were represented florida on the usga state team in 2010 you know i didn't i didn't make it to my first usga event until i was 45 years old it's amazing that you've reached the heights in your amateur golf especially on a national level in your mid forties and then well into your fifties. So it's a true testament to working hard and staying in shape and really grinding and staying passionate about the game of golf. So let's focus on the year of 2012. 
So at that time, you're 53 years old. Uh, you have a, a good run in the state mid-am. You have a good run in the, uh, in the state four ball, tied for second. And then comes time for you to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open. So we're looking here at June 25th, 2012 is your qualifier, and it's at Dunedin Country Club. Tell me about that day, kind of how that went. Let's start this story right here. Well, they've held the uh, the Senior Open qualifier at Dunedin since I turned 50 is when I was first eligible to play in it. And the first time I played at Dunedin when I turned 50, I just fell in love with this little old Donald Ross golf course. It was just reminding me of being back in Michigan, real small greens, ele- kind of elevated, hunched up. It wasn't a long course. It was... It was right in front of you, but nobody shot low scores there. And the first the first year I tried to qualify, I shot a two under par 70, and that was low score for the day, tied with five other guys. Oh. So we, we had six-way playoff for two spots. Uh, one guy birdied the first playoff hole, another guy birdied the second playoff hole. So that was it. But every, every year they held it there, I kept going back. So in... 2012, they held it there again. So I was, I guess I was 53 at the time. I was playing okay. And I was really determined because I liked the course. Well, I was in the, I was in the last group or second to last group of the day. And I just, I played good golf, but I, I never got anything really going. And I made a real good par on the last hole, but I just shot 71, which was one under par. And they're taking two spots, and there's a 69 and a 70 in. So I'm tied for third. So I'm in a playoff for first alternate with Mike Walters and Gene Jones. And um, I was I was I was upset that I had worked hard. I shot an okay score, and I was that close again on this little course that I really enjoy. So we go to the first playoff hole, and I make about a 25 footer for birdie, and I win the playoff. And you know, they, they give me the credentials saying you, you are the first alternate from this site and they'll be contacting you if, if you get in and whatever. So I drove home and not thinking too much of it. I knew I was close, but I probably wasn't going to get in. And just to, and just to, to kind of give listeners an idea of the timing of this, again, you qualify, this qualifier is on June 25th for a tournament in it's at Indian Wood Golf and Country Club in Lake Orion, Michigan. The tournament, the first day is the Thursday, July 12th. So we're not talking about a whole lot of time in between. No. Mm-mm. So so you, your first alternate, you go home and you're, you're, I can imagine you're disappointed just because it's a place you really feel confident in. So what do you do then? Well, there was only, there was only two weekends before that, the U.S. Senior Open. So... The uh, the first weekend after my qualifier, I I decided I was going to call the USGA and just find out where my site was in the alternate pool, you know, because they, they'll tell you if if your site is 19th in line or 7th in line or whatever it is. So I called them. <clears throat> so it's like a week and a half before the tournament. And they said, yeah, your, your site, your 7th in line right now is an alternate, Doug. I said, okay. I said, what are the chances? They said, well, not very good, but you know, it's possible that you could get in. Um, so I said, okay, thank you. And the next weekend is when we had our state four ball. And when I'm playing, I got all kinds of guys saying, are you going to go up there and just 
in case you get in. And I said, I might, but I'm not sure. So after Saturday's round of the state four ball, I called the USGA again and they said, you're third in line now. I said, okay. I said, thank you. And after I got off the phone, I went ahead and made a plane reservation and got hotel reservations up in Michigan for Monday night. So I was going to go to work on Monday. I was going to fly up to Michigan like eight o'clock at night from Orlando and uh, then just, you know, hang around the golf course Tuesday and Wednesday to see if, see if I would get in and um, go to work on Monday and sitting at, de- sitting at my desk and about 930, the phone rings and I pick it up and a guy says, hello, I'm from the USJ. My name is so-and-so. And he said, we've had a cancellation. And if you want to play in the U.S. Senior Open, you're in. I said, I definitely want to play in the U.S. Senior Open. He, he said, he said, okay. He said, well, Nick Price had a cancel. So you're playing with Tom Watson and Freddie Couples. And I couldn't, I couldn't say anything at that point. I just, I just stopped. I just, I said, okay. (laughs) Um, Eventually he said, can I do anything else for you? And I said, well, I said, I'm already planning to come up there. Uh, Some oxygen actually right now would be great. can Can you get me a practice round tea time for Tuesday? Cause it's already late. It's, it's Monday morning. He said, okay, I'll get you an afternoon time for Tuesday and a morning time for Wednesday. So I said, I appreciate that. And he said, we also have a courtesy car for you. And I said, well, I already rented a car in Detroit airport. He said, no, he said, we have a courtesy car for you. I said, well, I'm an amateur. I can't, I can't accept that. He said, he said, we're the USGA. We have a courtesy car for you. (laughs) You use it. I said, okay, I'll cancel my reservation. So. So I did, I flew up there Monday night after work and got in this brand new, it was a brand new Chevy with like 10 miles on it and and drove that to my hotel and showed up at the golf course the next morning. So I knew I was in the tournament. Oh, you were in the tournament, Doug. You, you, yeah, you're in the tournament. Don't you worry. Um, Wow. All right. So now, so now you're up in Michigan, you get in, you are in a TV pairing with Couples and Watson. Give me an idea what the practice rounds were like. What's the, what was the locker room like? What was the experience of being on the range with these guys? A, a, an amateur that gets in as a first alternate. Take me through your experiences just getting onto the golf course. I mean, the first thing that sticks in my mind is when, when we drive into the parking lot, there's like 70 other brand new cars just like mine. And they're all parked in one parking lot. So that looked kind of strange, just seeing all 70 of these exact same cars all in this one parking lot. We we So we get out, we we head over to, uh, I mean, the strangest thing was just walking into a locker room and Tom Kite walks past you and then Hale Irwin walks past you and you've seen these guys walk past you and you don't want to say anything to them. And uh, you're just going, holy cow, this is, this is really the real deal. And same thing out on the range. You you go out to the range and they ask you who you are. And I tell them my name and they come out with this, these little boards and they put them down where you're going to hit the balls from and they got your name in front of you. And you're, you're sitting right next to, you know, all the other touring pros who were out there in the tournament. So it was, it was pretty unbelievable that it was, it, it was going to happen. Um, the practice rounds, you know, they had me paired with people that, were not really touring, pro, touring pros. They were guys like me. Sure. So uh, 
So there was nothing really special that happened in the practice rounds other than trying to trying to figure out how to read those yardage books. There was so much information in those yardage books that it was pretty confusing. Um, so my caddy and I, and my caddy was my good friend who lives up in Michigan. That was that was one of the cool things about me qualifying to go to Michigan was my good friend was able to caddy for me, and I had a lot of family and friends that came over from Grand Rapids and actually watched the tournament on Thursday and Friday. So it was it was a nice homecoming in that way. The biggest thing about the course setup was the rough. The rough was probably seven, eight inches thick. It was very thick. Uh, the course didn't seem that demanding unless you hit it in the rough. Once you hit it in the rough, you were in trouble. So you're, you're through with your practice rounds. You have a tea time on Thursday. You have Mr. Tom Watson and Mr. Fred Couples. Now you, you tee off, tell me about just the first tee jitters and just the, the, just the entire experience on that first tournament day. What was that experience like? Well, I, I, uh, I knew that first tee shot was going to be very challenging. So I, uh, I really prepared mentally for that. I, um, I knew I didn't want to hit somebody standing right off the edge of the tee box. Good I knew start. I didn't want to top it. Good start. These are all positive thoughts. You like it. So I was, I was, you know, for two or three days, I was really, I thought a lot about that shot and how I was going to make it work. And the good news was, was I was, I started on the 10th hole. It was just a short par four. And there was a, there was a lake out there about 240. So you couldn't hit driver. And I didn't even want to hit a three wood. So, my plan was to hit like a two or three hybrid off that first tee box. So I, I just, I mentally convinced myself that I was going to hit a good shot. And that's, that's how I approached that day. I was, I was mentally ready. I, I wasn't, I had to convince myself that it was going to work. You know, we got to the first tee and Freddie was there first and I introduced myself and he was pleasant enough. And then I'm standing there and, Tom Watson walks over to me and goes, hi, I'm Tom Watson. And I said, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm Doug. And, uh, we, uh, I think that's I think a nice, that's third, a nice icebreaker right there. That's perfect. I think I was third in on the tee box and I got out my two or three hybrid, whatever it was. And I just took a slow controlled swing and I knocked it right down the middle. Thank God. That's because great. there was there was people lined up left and right off the tee, and if you hit a bad shot, I could have I could have knocked somebody pretty hard. <laughs> I wow. mean, there was a lot of people watching. Because this is this is not the typical nobody from nowhere Cinderella story of of getting in to, as an alternate into a a major. You know, normally the amateurs qualify or they get in as an alternate early on and they know where they can throw you and somewhere in the, the later tea times or get you off super early and Hey, enjoy your, you know, enjoy your little two rounds in the sun and yeah, let's, let's move it along. Let's make room for the big boys. But, but you kind of were thrust into this very unique experience not just playing in the U S senior, but you're in a TV pairing. I mean, they, they, that's the spot they gave you. It's going to go to someone because Nick price withdrew, uh, withdrew. If I hadn't been an alternate, I would have been, yeah, I would have been stuck with weird tee times and playing with, you know, guys like me who qualified that had no name. Right. And amateur, amateur or a club pro or just, right. right. So this is just completely a, a very unique experience. So tell me a little bit uh, about playing with, uh, 
with Watson or Couples, and uh, how in t- how much uh, uh, how much were they intimidated intimidated by your 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 blandness, Doug? <laughs> well, I don't I don't think they cared about Doug Snope at all. Um, you know, playing with Freddie, he he pretty much stuck to himself. Um, he would talk to his caddy, but he he didn't have too much to say. You know, we'd say nice shot to each other and stuff. Playing with Tom, Tom was a little more open. He would he would start talking to me as we'd walk down a fairway or approach a green, and I would talk back to him. I I never tried to start up a conversation because I knew these these guys are trying to win a U.S. Senior Open, and I still don't think either one has ever won one. So I knew it was a very important tournament for them. It was important for me too, but I, you know, I didn't, I did definitely didn't want to spoil their event. So, did you tell them about the Chevrolet you got from the USGA? <laughs> no, I didn't, because they had one too, so oh, they didn't that's, care. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Probably the best, the best thing that happened that first day, the first round was, um, you know, I start off, I start off with a three putt on the first hole, and then I bogey another hole, so I'm a couple over par on our first nine holes. But then I, I birdied. I birdied the 15th hole and the 18th hole. I started in the back nine. So I shoot 35, even par in the first nine holes. And I actually tied Tom and I beat Freddie by two shots. That's amazing. I and just, so, I just, I would just WD right there and just go home. You're done. You're done. Just so, go. So after birdieing that, my, you know, my ninth hole of the day, number 18, we're walking over to the first tee and I'm thinking, I think I can play with these guys. That's what I'm thinking to myself. I can play with these guys. Yes. It didn't last much longer than that <laughs> thought. <laughs> okay. So you just kind of, yeah, you kind of got a little ahead of yourself. Um, I did. Okay. I did. And I came right out easy par five and I bogeyed it. The next hole is a pretty good par four. And I hit my second shot out of bounds, right? Made a double bogey. And the whole back nine just, just completely got away from me. And I shot 46 which I'm not proud to say, but so I shot 35, 46 on my first 18 holes of the U S senior open. So obviously I could not play with those guys. Uh, even if I thought I could after nine holes, but that yeah. first nine holes was the highlight for me. Definitely. There you go. Well, and, and you know, I, I think that cause I'm looking at your scores and to the naked eye, you're on ussenioropen.com. It just shows the one through 18 scores of 81 and then 77 the next day. And just, looking at it you know if you, if you go out and shoot 46 then you kind of get yourself into that mindset of like yeah let's just relax and have fun and you shoot an even par 35 that's impressive but to do what you did to go out in even par that's even more impressive in my book so obviously you kind of blow up um and and have that uh, that rough first round what was your impression of just watching watson and couples and and for that matter the other touring pros hitting the ball, their, their, their talent around the greens, putting, uh, shot making anything really stick out. I mean, you, you clip these guys for nine holes. Uh, you know, they may have had, they may have, or they obviously have more experience. Uh, so they, they beat you in the, in the, uh, the long run of the 36 holes that you were there for. But, um, what were your takeaways just by watching them hit? They don't hit hardly any bad shots. I mean, when I shot 46, I was hitting one or two bad shots a hole. They don't hit any bad shots the whole round. And if they do hit a bad shot, it's just barely off the green or it's just in the rough off the tee. You know, their their misses are just so much better than 
and amateur misses. So that's 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 what I took away from it was, you know, they just they they keep the ball on or around the greens. They get up now if they have to. They make birdies when they have the opportunities. They just they don't make mistakes, and that's hard to do for eighteen holes. So I guess that's what being a pro is all about: is you uh, you know you find a way to fight on every shot on every hole, and you just don't you just don't give away what I was kept giving away the first day on the back nine. And and you mentioned uh, Freddie kind of kept to himself, but uh, but you had a you know a couple chats with Watson and got to see him pretty see him up close, obviously. Um, any anecdotes or any just issues that you guys had, or not issues, but any just sort of uh, situations that came about on the golf course that uh, kind of still stick out? Yeah, there's there was one the uh, second day, the second round. Um. We, we started off on the front nine and I think the first day, I think the first day Watson ended up shooting 62 or 72 and Freddie was 74. So, you know, they were both right in it and we, we go play the front nine on the uh, second day and the second day we had a tee time, like at one thirty or something, one forty. So the crowds it's a par five in the crowds. There had to be 30 deep all around the tee box and it had to be 20 deep all the way down to the green from the tee box. I mean, there must've been 10,000 people on that hole watching us play. So that was really, that was really something I'll remember the rest of my life was how many people were on that first hole. And um, we all played pretty good on the front nine, but we got to the ninth hole, which was a really slopey green. And, I three putted right in front of Tom and then he three putted right after me. So I could tell he wasn't happy going to the 10th tee box, which is a little short par four with a water out there about 240. And I saw him get up on the tee box and he pulled out his three wood and and he's kind of, he's kind of slamming it down in the dirt a little bit. And I'm thinking he's, he's not happy. And I said, this is not the right club for him. That's too much club. And he hits it and he pulls it a little left and it's bouncing and it's bouncing. And it looks like it gets pretty close to the water's edge, but we can't tell from the tee box if it goes in the water. And um, so we, we stroll up there and his ball is, is in long grass on the edge of the water. And he has to go into the water with his shoes off and the water's up to his knees and he's got to take a baseball swing to advance this ball. Okay. So he didn't go in the water, but he's, he's in, he's in trouble. Well, he hits a real nice shot up around the green. He was lucky to do that. So he's got to put all of his clothes back on and dry off. And so he's running a little bit behind and he gets up near the green and the pins in a tough spot. He chips, he chips a little too firm. It rolls past the pin and into the rough to, I mean, he's not even 15 feet from the flag, but he's in the rough off the green. So the pin is on a shelf on the left side of the green, and he's in the left rough, left of the green. He gets up, he gets up over his chip shot when it's his turn to hit, and he he takes this swing, and nothing happens. He he shuffles his feet, he takes another swing, and the ball comes out on the green. So you're thinking he, the first. So are you thinking that the first swing was a a whiff? He just went underneath it. Um, it didn't whiff. It's like his club got stopped by the long grass. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm going. I'm thinking, I wonder if that was a, 
basically a whiff. I wonder if he tried to hit that ball. And um, he had about a three-footer, and he rammed it in the back of the hole. And as we're walking off the green, my caddy goes, did you see that? I said, yeah, I saw that. He said, you got to ask him what he had. And I said, I know, because I'm carrying Tom's card. Sure. So I'm his scorer. <laughs> so we tee off the 11th tee box, and as we're walking down the hole, you know, off the tee box, I said, Tom, I have to ask you, what did you have on the last hole? And he looks right at me and goes, Doug, I had a six. And the six was with the whiff. Yep. And I said, okay, thanks, Tom. If he had said a five, I have no idea what I would have done to this day because I have a scorecard and it looked like to me a whiff, but what was I going to say to Tom Watson if he told me he had a bogey instead of a double bogey? Yeah, this is a little bit different different than Sindelar taking your honors in college, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm very appreciative that he – that he said he had a six that that took a lot of pressure off me. That's for sure. Well, it's a game of honor, but, and, and I think we all know that, and there's a lot of integrity in the game, but it's, it's great when those things reveal themselves to, to people and you see them in action in the heat of the moment. And you obviously see that integrity and honor is still above everything else in golf. I know a few days later, I saw a broadcast of, of the round and I saw that shot. And Andy North, who is his good friend, was in the booth, and he was commenting during that shot. He goes, I think Tom whiffed that. Yeah. He said, we're going to have to find out, but I think Tom whiffed that. So it was it was obvious to more than just me. What kind of media attention did you get the during the week or, or leading up to the tournament? After the second round, we go into the – we go into the, the clubhouse there at Inyamood is huge. It's enormous. It's got multiple rooms and upstairs and downstairs and layers, and it's it's all over the place. So they had us go in and sign our scorecards in one little area, and uh, that that takes a while. And Tom was signing a couple golf balls for my caddy and other things. And um, I was just after after I got done with my card signing, I kind of just rolled out of there and was just kind of walking around the big the big club area and downstairs and you know, just seeing people go by and all of a sudden someone says, Billy Kratzert's looking for you. And Billy Kratzert was the on-course person who was following us all day long with the microphone and the headset. Yep. He said, Billy Kratzert's looking for you. I said, okay. I said, I don't, I said, I'll see if I can find him. And I took a couple more steps and to my right, I see Billy Kratzert come running right at me. And he comes running right at me. And as he's running, he says, follow me, Doug. And we start both running through the clubhouse of the Indian Country Club. We ran about 50 yards up a flight of stairs. We hit a door to go outside. We went about another 10 feet. And he said, stop right here. And we stopped. And five seconds later, he did an on-air interview with me on TV. It was like an ESPN three or something. So you you get done with the U.S. Senior Open, and um, you know, obviously, just an, an amazing experience, amazing uh, not just the tournament, but it's at your home state, and you have you know family and friends that are following you. Uh, you make it back home to Florida. What was what was that like seeing all of your uh, your colleagues at work, and then obviously your uh, your friends in the Florida State Golf Association, you know. Uh, I can't imagine what that reaction and the, the uh, response must have been. Yeah. Every, every, everybody was, uh, 
you know, very happy for me. And, you know, they, they were, they were sad that I didn't place that or didn't shoot that good of scores. But I said, you know, in the end, it just didn't matter. I was, I was there and it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, they all wanted to know about, were you nervous? And how was time? And did you hit the ball farther than time? Did you hit the ball farther than Freddie? What did they think about your uh, tall putter? (laughs) You know, I got all kinds of questions when I got back. And now time for a quick bucket. Well, Doug, we have a, a little segment here at the very end. It's called the Quick Bucket here at the back of the range. It's a couple of questions that are kind of off topic and fun that we like to ask. So let's start with this one. The 1986 victory by Jack Nicholas at the Masters or a fifth green jacket for Tiger Woods. What would be the most, the most substantial victory? Well, for me, when I started playing in ninth grade, that's when Jack Nicklaus was pretty much in his prime. So I'm a Jack Nicklaus fan. And to watch him shoot 30 on the back nine in 1986 and win the Masters, uh, something I'll never forget. So to me, I'm going with the Jack Nicklaus story. So, Doug, the second question is, you can give a major championship to anyone in history, a man, a woman, alive or dead, no majors or 18 majors. Who would that be? Who'd get the major? Uh, I would probably give it to Arnold Palmer. I think I think he's missing one major from the Grand Slam, and uh, that would have been appropriate for him to be one of the few people who who've won all four majors. Yeah, would have been the would have been the PGA. Well, let me get you out of here, uh, Doug. I really appreciate this. The not just the story of the the 2012 U.S. Senior Open, but um, your your happenstance start in the game and where you've gone from from not really playing and then kind of falling into it from 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 not playing football and then finding your way down to uh, to south florida or to central florida and then just where you've gone it's it's great uh it's always fun to see you at tournaments and really appreciate appreciate you being on the uh, back of the range podcast well thank you very much for having me and go detroit lions Well, I don't know what kind of future the Lions are going to have, but I do know this. Don't sleep on Doug Snope. That dude's going to be in a USGA championship again. So, great episode. Hope you all enjoyed it. Follow us on Instagram. Shoot me an email if you want to, and we'll see you next week. Thanks.